before we get to and at 520, we'll talk more about the Cavs and where they currently are and where it seems like, you know, Friday was just an absolute disaster and you can't have games like that happen. Over the weekend, we had back-to-back series where you had no Middleton, no Giannis, no Wiggins, Curry, Clay, and Draymond on Friday. That is a lot of stars to just not play. Steve Kerr on Friday night said why he thought or what his answer to all this would be, though. Accede to everybody's wishes and just say, all right, we'll just play everybody. And then the guy's knocked out for the playoffs. But you know what the story is. Why the hell weren't you smarter during the regular season? So this is just, it's all part of it and we have to navigate it. I feel terrible for fans who buy tickets who are expecting to see someone play and they don't get to see that person play. It's a brutal part of the business. That's why I'm going to continue to advocate for 72 game seasons. I know that means less revenue, but at some point, I think there just needs to be an awareness from everybody involved, uh, the league, players, coaches, performance staff. Like, let's let's be really smart. Let's take care of these guys and play fewer games, and the overall quality of the game will be better. If that's the case, then revenue is going to go up anyway. So that's what my solution would be. All right, here's why the NBA is never going to do that, though, and it's got more to do, less to do with money than what you would think. The NBA has gotten itself in a situation where not only can you not chop off half, or excuse me, an eighth of the season, but you can't do it because – No part of the current NBA and the players that play in the NBA, no part of them would adjust if you got rid of all the back-to-backs and said, okay, now we're playing 72 games and we want you out there at every turn and uh, no excuses. The current crop of NBA players, maybe you can get this to change maybe 15, 20 years from now, the current crop of NBA players don't believe in the regular season. That's their biggest problem. The reason why the NBA is not ever going to get this to actually change is because if you shorten it down to 72 games, the only thing you're going to do is shorten the amount of games on the schedule. You're not going to get players to go ahead and stop playing less. You're not going to get all of a sudden to have people have the same LeBron mentality where at 38 years old, he's still going to play 95% of the games. It's not going to be the reality. Kawhi Leonard isn't all of a sudden going to start playing a bunch of games because it's a shortened season and you got rid of back-to-backs. Now, Kawhi Leonard is like most humans. Most humans, if you give an inch, they take a mile. Kawhi Leonard's never been fined, never been punished, never been even frowned upon in NBA circles for the amount of games that he misses. Now, NBA fans should, in theory... Be livid at people like Kawhi Leonard. Instead, we celebrate a guy like Kawhi Leonard. Oh, he figured it out. Kawhi Leonard figured out what the key to the NBA secret is. And that is, if you go, if you rest yourself and then go ahead and get yourself ready for a deep postseason, well, you're golden, pony boy. Same thing happened in the NFL to a slight degree. NFL in week 18, what was week 17, though, Everyone put together that it's the smarter idea to rest your players as opposed to having them out there and ruining their bodies. To the point where when Brandon Staley this last, just this last year, I'm not even going like 12 years ago, I'm going to Brandon Staley just this last year, three weeks ago, decided to go ahead and play all of his starters when they were already locked into the five seed, were set to take on Jacksonville, and were playing for nothing. And he played his starters, and Mike Williams got injured, right? Mike Williams had the back injury, and you know what happened? People were like, Brandon Staley should be fired for that and that alone. 
Forget the fact that you underwhelmed in the postseason. Forget the fact that you uh, didn't necessarily achieve all your goals. You should be fired for the Mike Williams back injury, a guy that had historically a bunch of injuries to begin with anyway, playing in a game that meant absolutely nothing. Move that energy to the NBA, where all of a sudden people like Kawhi, who have not only played in NBA Finals, but have won NBA Finals and has been to multiple NBA Finals, the fans don't ever think to themselves, hey, maybe we should get on a guy for not you know, taking the regular season seriously. Instead, what happened is it got applauded. It got applauded for gaming the system. That's where the problem with the NBA truly lies. Right now, the fans, with the exception of people that are in Cleveland and are mad because they didn't get to see Steph on any given night, or the people that didn't get to see Giannis on any given night, the fans are the ones that are dictating all this action. We just don't want to think about it that way. Because remember what happens to Brandon Staley when he plays his guys. You guys yell at him and say he should lose his job. Steve Kerr, if he were to play Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Draymond after going overtime against Milwaukee the night prior, playing 40-plus minutes, and then rolls them out against the Cavs team, even though a Cavs team is good, but it's a Cavs team that they take on you know, Eastern Conference squad, so you're not worried about that from that perspective. If he were to play them, and then let's say Steph gets injured, there's going to be a bunch of Warriors blogs being like, what the hell were you doing, man? He just played 45 minutes the night prior. Use your noggin. What the hell are you doing? And then the, Steve would have to go up to a press conference, and Steve Kerr would have to sit down and at the podium explain that because he wanted poor Johnny and Parma to see his favorite player, you know, Steph Curry, who comes in once a year to actually play, well, that's what he, that, that's what his logic was. And every Warriors fan in the sun would be like, you idiot. The hell are you doing? That's our season. You just blew up our season to make sure that young Stevie in Youngstown has a nice Friday night. So I can't blame Steve Kerr, I can't even blame Giannis and Chris Middleton and the Bucks when on Saturday they sit down too. It was a them's the breaks type moment. Like it sucked if you paid a bunch of money to go watch your favorite NBA player because it's a players league more than it's an anything else league and you love Giannis and you want to see Giannis be awesome. That sucks if that was your outcome, that you didn't get to see your guy. And that sucks because I, you know, I came into the studio on Friday night. Coming into the studio, I saw more Steph Curry jerseys and more Warriors jerseys than I saw Cavs jerseys 10 to 1. Not hyperbole. 10 to 1. Easily. So many young people love to watch Steph Curry play. It's just, I mean, it's just a fact. But you can't have it both ways. And I feel like everyone's getting mad at the NBA and everyone's yelling at Steve Kerr and everyone's yelling. Take a look in the mirror. I know it's going to make me like the least popular sports talk radio host in the country at this point. But like, think about it for a second. How do you possibly expect them to do anything differently when every time they push the limits and an injury happens, we call for their jobs? What else do you want them to do? Steve Kerr's got no defense when he's when he goes up there to the podium and if something bad were to happen to Draymond or Steph or anything like that or even during the postseason if they just seemed gassed because they were playing all these back-to-backs every time he's got no defense and the defense of we cared more about little Johnny 
who lives in Solon and has never seen his favorite player before, it's not really a good defense. So it sucks that this is the way, but this is the way. And it sucks that you're into a sport where the regular season just isn't treated the same way as the postseason is. You want to go see Steph Curry and you want to see him at his absolute apex? Sorry. You got to buy a plane ticket and go see him when he's in the uh, you know conference semifinals taking on a team and trying to find his way to another national title. Excuse me, NBA title. Like, that's when you got to do it. That's the reality of the situation. If you want to be somebody that, uh, you know, loves watching their favorite player on any given team or any given moment, and it's not your favorite team, well, guess what? These are the realities of the situation. And I know it sucks for Cavs fans. It does. It sucks for Cavs fans that wanted to see Giannis, wanted to see Steph, you still got to see Garland. You got to see Mobley. And for instance, on Saturday night, Mobley scores 38 points. Sorry you didn't get to see Giannis. You got to see one of the futures of the game, one of the very best moments for the Cavs, have his very best game of the season. All right, Nick, I'm next on the fan. Hello, Nick. Hey, how's it going? What's up, man? Um, I, I agree with you in terms of, like, the injuries thing and everything and people getting angry, but I think you're missing the point that the NBA and the players' contracts are based on, like, television revenue and ticket sales and all these people going to, to see them play. And there needs to be something done to where when there is load management and players don't show up to play and these fans pay money, that eventually goes into the players' pockets as well as the owners, there needs to be some sort of repercussions. Um, maybe it's some right, sort but, of our but Nick, if you, if you said, Nick, if you said, and I'll let you finish, but if you said it's all about the TV revenue and it's about the fans and all this stuff, well, what's worse? Having a miss a back-to-back in a game that isn't even televised nationally, just televised locally? We're having a situation like they had against the Raptors in the finals where Klay Thompson gets injured and then there goes all the finals money and there goes all the finals viewership for that year. Like the, you know, they're, they're entertainers, right? At the end of the day, yeah, like everyone course. says it's a business, right? Like that's what we keep hearing when players meet, move and go to other teams. They keep telling us it's a business. Well, guess what? Us as fans are going to treat this as a business as well. Right, but like, I, feel like, I feel like fans are, fans are the ones that are in part giving them a pass. I mean, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, there's fans that's going to give them a pass, but then there's fans like us here in Cleveland that, for some reason, it's always Cleveland where we're not seeing these guys play in a lot of these games. I mean, right, and that's yeah, the part that stinks. It doesn't happen all the time, but again, like if you're an entertainer mm-hmm. and you're there to get paid to entertain, it's like going to a play and you find out Bette Midler is not playing. Not not the lead role that day, and an understudy comes in. Well, love, she's not getting paid. Love some Bet Mittler. Love some Bet Mittler, Nick. Uh, yeah, well, you're right. You're I, right. It's my Seinfeld reference, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, but like, realistically, like macaroni these Betty. Guys are entertain- these guys are entertainers, and I would think that if they're going to be in the revenue sharing game, and they're going to be basing their contracts off of how much money they bring in because of how much the fans uh-huh. spend and how much they pay for their jerseys and how much they watch on TV with ad revenue and everything, well then, hey, you're not going to show up one night and the Cavs end up losing out on viewership. They end up losing out on a season ticket holder that paid a ton of money for that game 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now that ticket's worth a third of what. Oh, I I, I I get it, Nick. And thank you, man. I appreciate the phone call, man. I feel like there's some dysfunction between what the Cavs are doing and then what some of the Cavs are saying. And on Friday night, you can listen to me overtime with Jonathan Peter when we broke this down because it was almost. Well, I'll just say it. It was just it, Friday's game was unfathomably bad. You can't, cannot have a game like what happened on Friday night. No Steph, no Clay, no Draymond, no Wiggins, and they laid an absolute egg. Now, I know we didn't have Donovan, but that's not enough. When you have Darius, Evan, and Jared Allen, you got to win those games. No questions asked. You got to win that game. But what really stood out to me was the idea that uh, after the game, J.B. Bickerstaff wasn't on the same page with Darius Garland. And, and not only were they not on the same page, they, it felt like they were miles apart of what that page should have been. We'll start with J.B., who went laughably short in a press conference. Uh, by all accounts, it was only about a minute long. When you get taken to the cleaners like that, sorry, you stand up at that podium and you take your medicine. Here was J.B. after that game. We didn't respect the game. It's that simple. You know, they've got champions over there. And, you know, we thought some of those guys were out, so we were going to take it lightly. And we got what we deserved. We weren't good. We were disrespectful. Didn't do the job we needed to do. They're good basketball players. And if you're going to disrespect them, they're going to make you pay. And we came out of the gate, you know, soft and disrespectful. And they were out there shooting warm-up shots with no contest, no challenges, nobody in their space. And they gave us what we deserved. See, I'm getting mad all over again in my mind because I'm like, you're right. There were so many open shots all game long. It was. They were warm-up shots. And the idea that, well, oh, they got champions over there is a little, that's a little much. I mean, Jordan Poole and Dante DiVincenzo hasn't scared anyone since they were playing grade school basketball, okay? Like, let's let's be honest about it. And Dante DiVincenzo was a good college player. I don't need to slander Dante DiVincenzo, but let's get honest about it. Anytime you throw the word champions in there, you did it a little loosely. But listen to how Darius is talking then after this game. So you heard J.B., JB's on the idea that we didn't play hard, we didn't have our best because they, you know, all these different type of things, right? None of them were good excuses, by the way. Absolutely none of them were good excuses. How play play JB back one more time because I, I want you guys to listen to how bad his excuses were. Here we go. We didn't respect the game. It's that simple. You know, they've got champions over there. And, you know, we thought some of those guys were out, so we were going to take it lightly. And we got what we deserved. We weren't good. We were disrespectful. Didn't do the job we needed to do. They're good basketball players. And if you're going to disrespect them, they're going to make you pay. And we came out of the gate, you know, soft and disrespectful. And they were out there shooting warm-up shots with no contest, no challenges, nobody in their space. And they gave us what we deserved. Took it lightly. Played soft. We were disrespectful to who they were. All those type of things. And then Darius was asked about JB's comments. This is what I love when you play telephone within the media, right? JB makes these comments that were really strong and uh, really pointed towards the players, by the way, even though, hello, you're the head coach, but whatever. I've seen there another. And Darius responded with this. No, they got to go in the first, and when you get them going, I mean, you get confidence, and it led throughout the entire game. I don't think we overlooked them. They're in the league for a reason, so I don't think they were overlooked. Like I said before, they got going in the first quarter. When you get going the first, you get confidence, so that leads throughout the entire game, and that's what it was. Now, I want to know which side of this story you're buying into, because Darius basically did the his version of They Drive Lambos 2. Like, his version of, hey, have you seen the visitor's parking lot? full of a lot of really expensive cars. You know how expensive those cars are? You know how they got those cars? Wasn't through E-Trade, okay? They're not on the market. They're not doing anything that way. They got those cars 
by basketball. That's how they got him. So, like, maybe we need to, you know, go ahead and recognize the fact that when Dante DiVincenzo and Jordan Poole and Jerome go off the way that they did, well, you know what? They're pro basketball players. That happens from time to time. But it's awful to me that the two of them just couldn't be on the same page in what they had to say. Now, do I side with Darius more than I side with JB? I think if you wanted to, it's almost a chicken or the egg type question. I think the reality is it's probably somewhere in the middle. Did the Cavs take the Golden State Warriors without Clay, without Steph, without Draymond? Did they take them lightly? It definitely felt like it. Did they get a lot of wide open three opportunities? Oh boy, did it feel like it. Also, does Jordan Poole probably drive a really nice car? I would imagine so. He's been in the league for a while. He's made millions of dollars putting a ball through a hoop. He knows what he's doing. The part that is unquestionable, though, is that nobody in their right mind can tell me that the Cavs weren't the more talented team and the Cavs weren't, didn't have the best or better roster when tip-off happened. And somewhere in between, when you're jockeying for position the way that the Cavs are, because remember, if you don't get to the third spot, you could potentially have a fourth and a five-seed matchup where it's you versus Brooklyn. Good luck. You want to take on Kyrie and Kevin Durant when they know they got to play in order to try to get a win or they're going to be the laughingstock of the NBA once again? Good luck. That's a really rough four and five seed. So you got to jockey for this position. Every game truly does matter. Whether you're playing the Golden State Warriors or the Washington Generals, you got to bring your best every single night. There's no excuses for what went down. And I know the Cavs didn't actually even shoot that horribly in that game. It was the defense that I was the the uh, the most mad at. It was the defense that I was the most upset at. How you let the B squad for the Warriors go 53% from three is simple. Uncontested shots left and right. Now, did I think they were going to respond on Saturday night? And did I think that they were going to go out there and play the way they did? Listen, nobody, Miss Cleo, couldn't tell you that that uh, Evan Mobley was going to play the way that he did. But yeah, that was going to be, it was always going to be the case when Giannis and Middleton are out. And then you have J.B. Bickerstaff lose his mind in this press conference and lose his mind on the court. you got to show up and respond. No question about that. But what do I do with this Cavs team moving forward? I didn't know we were in the position to take teams lightly. Since when did that become a thing? Since when did this Cavs squad be in the position where every win doesn't count? I, I, I didn't know we were there. I'm sorry. I Maybe I didn't get the memo. I didn't know we were Milwaukee. I didn't know we were Boston. I thought we still had to play hard every night, especially when you don't have Donovan Mitchell. So, yeah, it's a little alarming, but even more alarming is the fact that I don't know what Cavs team you're ever going to get on any given night. I remember in this Warriors game in particular on Friday, and part of the reason why I was so heated, if we just you know let my gambling side of things take over a little bit, is because I said, and I was adamant about it, when I was placing the bets, is that, oh, oh yeah, Cavs can be down double digits to Golden State. They don't, who cares? Who cares? They'll do it in the, in the fourth quarter, they'll come back. They'll erase any deficit in the fourth quarter, and they'll come back. Because that's what the Cavs, that's what they do. They go very nonchalantly through three quarters of basketball, and then like the New Orleans game in the fourth quarter, they blow it open. That's been their recipe the entire year. So in my mind, I was like, all right, we'll turn the Jets on, and here we go. How is that something that I think is legitimate? How, how is that something that well, every Cavs fan listening right now knows this is what they do, 
and every Cavs player would probably admit fourth quarters, they come to life. Well, why is that? These are the things that are troubling to me. These are the things. I have no idea if I place a bet on the Cavs, which Cavs team is showing up. Hell, I'll take it a step further. The Cavs, as of this moment right now, they're off my betting board. I don't know what Cavs team is showing up on any given night. And you don't either. If Donovan plays tonight, if he doesn't play, or excuse me, tomorrow, or if he doesn't play, uh, they're untouchable in my mind right now. I have no sense of what this team is any given night. They have really good games, like the earlier games against Boston, right? On that Friday and Wednesday, where they they just they, they just looked so good and so awesome. And they have those type of games. And then you turn around, and there's the Utah Jazz game. Then you turn around, and like the, even the Memphis Grizzlies game was so good because you're going up against, without Donovan Mitchell, one of the best teams in the West, and you're hanging toe-for-toe, shot-for-shot with them. But you still didn't get the job done. And in that fourth quarter, J.B. Bickerstaff drew up the worst game plan possible to put Darius Garland in position to win the game. How's How that hit, was his final shot, I'll never know. It's just, it's so confusing to me on so many different levels. And I cover this team in a sense, and that I am always around the conversation with the Cavs. We talk about the Cavs a lot. Like, if anybody should know how to bet on these games with the Cavs, or at least watch these games with the Cavs, it'd be me. I've got no clue as of... Two games ago, I've got no clue how to bet this Cavs team or watch this Cavs team because I don't know what to expect any given night. Two one six five seven eight double zero nine two. Bill, up next on the fan. Hello, Bill. Hey, Jonathan. Great job. Hey, Bill. Thank you. You know, I agree with you. This team is uh, confusing. Um, I've always felt that in the NBA, if you get too guard centric, you're not going to win uh, at everything. You're, you'll, you'll win. You can be with two players like we have. But when it comes to playing in the playoffs, you've got to have a big man involved. And the offense that we have, the screen and roll thing, it, it just never is as effective as it needs to be. And then the other night when Mobley had 38, you know, I'm in the group that says, well, where's this been? I mean, where, what happened? Yeah. yeah. And because this young man, I, I, and I also, I said this before uh, on the station, and, and listen, I say this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but not, and that is, you know, the Greek freak got developed because he was on a team that wasn't very good, and they kind of just said, you know what, we're going to let this big guy do a little bit of everything. And over a period of two to three years, you develop into this, you know, monster that he is. And I would love to see them do that with Mobley, but the problem is now we got two uh, time-sensitive ball hogs, and they don't want to give it up. It's like the first guy up the court, I mean, they both want to get about 25 a game. And I don't know how we're going to be able to take that ball away from those guys and make them happy, that being Garland. Yeah, and I don't know that that's even the right call. And thank you, Bill. I appreciate you, man. I don't even know that that's the right call. Again, Giannis... Giannis became better because Giannis, you know, he was built like a Twizzler. You know, he's massively tall and 180 pounds, and just, it just he just developed into his body. Excuse me. With with Mobley, I don't know. Maybe you can make the same argument that you need to throw him a protein shake or two. Like maybe he does need to put on some weight. But anytime they tried to have him make shots from 10 feet out, 15 feet out, he just looks he looks like a, a deer in headlights. He just looks a little scared. He's got to find a way to get that down, and he'll be better in the long term. You're right, Bill, in that if they if they let him shoot, if they let him figure it out in live action, you'll be better in the long term for that. 